Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Seven Sage LSAT podcast. My name's Henry Ewing, and I'm joined with my co-host, Asta Sinha. So today's episode is going to be a continuation off of last week's episode. Last week, we introduced this kind of new leg of the podcast. We're going to be doing breakdowns of different question types on the LR section or logical reasoning. So last time we did necessary assumption questions. This time we're going to do parallel flaw questions. So let's go ahead and get started. Henry, what's your general approach to parallel flaw questions? The way I approach parallel flaw questions is you start with the stimulus and you say, okay, the stimulus gives me an argument. And I know the argument is flawed in some sort of way. Ideally, you're able to see this flaw. That's kind of a a good starting point, right? You got to be able to see the flaw. Do you have to be able to see the flaw? I don't know if you have to. It's going to help you a lot, right? And if you can't see the flaw on a parallel flaw question, it probably means you have some more studying to do, right? Whether that's looking at your conditionals, looking at causation. But after you read the stimulus, you see the flaw, what you want to do is you want to generalize that out. You want to take the structure of the flaw in the stimulus and simplify it into just use A's, B's, and C's. So if I have something that says all turtles are slow, What I'm going to do is I'm going to take turtles and I'm going to take slow and I'm going to turn that into a letter. Instead of saying all turtles are slow, I'm going to say if A, then B. Yeah. Or all A's are B's. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Right. So when you're looking at that, that's what we mean by taking the general form, right? We're looking at the underlying conditional reasoning. And then for every time I see turtle, I'm just going to replace it with A. That should give me the structure of the argument, right? In a general form, you know, if A, then B. B, therefore A, right? That would be a common sufficient versus necessary flaw. Going off of that, the simplest way in my mind to do parallel flaw questions is just like that, to water down the original argument as much as you possibly can. If you can simplify, it's a skill, right? It's a skill that's going to take time and practice to get. But if you can quickly and accurately water down the argument, it's going to be a lot easier to compare A's to A's argument to answer choice than it is to try to compare two completely different topics, right? Because maybe the original argument in a parallel flaw questions is about turtles being slow. And then the answer choices are about, I don't know, the sky being purple or oranges being in a supermarket, right? It's going to be about some completely different topic. So if instead of comparing turtles to oranges, you can compare an A to A, you're going to be in a much better position to do this quickly. Parallel flaw questions are the question type that people think are like, oh, this is going to take forever. It's so long. There's so many words. It doesn't have to be that way, right? If you can water it down to your A's, B's, and C's, those question types can go by a lot, lot quicker. Do you agree? I 100% agree. And, And one of the important elements or important skills you need to apply on the answer choices is predicting what the next thing should say, right? You want to predict what it should say. So let's go back to our turtle example, where I say all turtles are slow. Therefore, if it's slow, it's a turtle, right? So I have a sufficient versus necessity confusion. And then I get to answer choice A, and it says all butter is delicious. Before I even get to the next premise, I already know the next thing should say if it's delicious, then it's butter. Now, if I get there and it says something like cookies, I stop right there, right? Because you know, that's you introducing a new term, right? That you're, it's you introducing a new idea here. You've gone beyond A's and B's. That Cookies is a C. And so you can stop right there and just be like, okay, I don't need to read the rest of this because I know what it should say. And that's one of the ways you can move through these answer choices quickly is after you extrapolate the basic form, you start mapping on the answer choices to that structure and predicting what should be said next. All right. So let's go to the question. 
Here we have the June PT section two, question two. Which one of the following uses flawed reasoning that most closely resembles the flawed reasoning used in the argument above? Okay, so we have a parallel flaw question here, right? They're asking which answer choice uses similar flawed reasoning to the stimulus. What is the stimulus? All right, we have all laboratory retrievers bark a great deal. All St. Bernard's bark infrequently. Each of Rosa's dogs is a cross between a Labrador retriever and a St. Bernard. Therefore, Rosa's dogs are moderate barkers. All right. When I'm looking at this, I, I think the flaw of this jumps out fairly easily. Right? It's not a super complex. What the argument wants to say is that because Rosa's dogs are a cross between dogs that bark a great deal and dogs that bark infrequently, you're somehow going to end up with a, a moderate barking dog, right? You're going to strike a balance. In real life, though, we have examples that just show this is not the case, where imagine a blonde person and a brown-haired person, they have a child, and the child ends up with brown hair, right? And it's just brown hair. It's not some strike in between balance, right, where it's moderately blonde and moderately brown, like in between. It's just brown hair. So now that we've identified the flaw, let's turn the stimulus into a general form so we can apply it to the answer choices. Let's do it. So starting off with the original argument, let's just start with the first two sentences. All Labrador retrievers bark a great deal. All St. Bernard's bark infrequently. Okay, so I'm going to start off by with the dogs, right? Labrador retrievers and St. Bernard's. I'm going to make Labrador retrievers A and St. Bernard's B. So what I have so far is that all A's bark a great deal, all B's bark infrequently. Now when I'm dealing with the barking thing, I'm realizing that it's on a spectrum, right? Barking a great deal is maybe on the far right, and barking infrequently is on the far left. So I'm just going to turn barking into X. So all A's bark a great deal, so all A's X a lot, and all St. Bernard's bark infrequently, so all B's X not that much, right? I'm just dealing with those two ends of the spectrum. From there, I'm going to go ahead and start tackling the answer choices. I have the first two premises down. I know what they need to look like. And as I'm looking through these answer choices, I need to be able to predict what does it need to look like? What do I need to see? I need to see something that says all A's X a lot and then all B's X not that much. So let's start out with answer choice C. Answer choice C says all students at Hanson School live in Greene County. Already, I'm not a fan because living in Greene County is not X a lot, right? It's just a, a binary. You either live in Greene County or you don't. You can't live in Greene County a lot and then not live in Greene County that much. That doesn't make yeah, any sense. Yeah, there's no living in Greene County little, right? Yeah, exactly. I'm not going to have bark infrequently. And we can look at the next sentence here. All students at Edwards School live in Wynn County. That's just way off, yeah, right? So what I need to see We're not even on the spectrum at that point. Exactly, right? The right? There's County two spectrum. different things. <laughs> exactly, right? Wynn County isn't like far east of Greene County. Like that doesn't make any sense. So see, for that reason alone, because it doesn't match the structure of the first two premises of the original argument, gone, done, over it. We can exit out. And, and it makes it a lot simpler, it, a lot more easy to digest when you're doing this, this prediction thing. D. Yeah, we can do the same thing with D here, where the first sentence of D says, all transcriptionists, no shorthand. And so when you're looking at this, all transcriptionists might be our A, but knowing shorthand, like that's our X, but does that happen on a spectrum? You might say, no, you can know shorthand better than other people. However, right, they're not presenting it as if it's on the spectrum, right? They're not saying all transcriptionists know shorthand really well or know a lot of shorthand. They're presenting it as a binary. So we can cross our arms and think, maybe this is not right. 
right. And again, even if we go to the next stimulus, all engineers know calculus. Well, we're supposed to be on the shorthand spectrum. But now we're talking about engineers knowing calculus. Again, totally off the spectrum. So I don't need to read the rest of D. I can X out D based on that alone because it's just not fitting the premises. Exactly. We're looking for all A's X a lot and all B's X a little. And shorthand calculus, those are just two completely different things. Green County, Wynn County, two completely different things. C and D, gone. Yeah, we need to be on the spectrum. Now, I have an answer choice here. Answer choice A, Asa, that says, all students who study diligently make good grades. That seems like a spectrum, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You know, making good grades, like some can make, you know, you can make pretty good grades or you can make not good grades, right? Grades, grades happen on a spectrum. So we have all students who study diligently make good grades. What's our A here? All students who, so A would be students who study diligently. Right. So we have that. Now, if you were to predict, right, let's say A was the right answer. What should the next premise say? The next premise should say something along the lines of all students who, I don't know, don't study diligently or all study or all students who do something else, some other group of students make bad grades. That's what I need. I need to be on the spectrum of grades here. But what do we have here? Right. We have but some students pause. Right. Am I allowed to pause right there? Yeah, we can X that out immediately because we need something about all, right? We need an all. This just says, but some students, I'm not even reading the rest of this. You're not reading the rest of this. None of us are reading the rest. Yeah, no one's reading the rest of this. No one's reading it. Right? No one's reading the rest of this because (laughs) the second we see, where's some in the stimulus? It's not in the stimulus at all. Right? It's nowhere in the stimulus. And because of that, we can throw it out immediately. Maybe A is flawed. Maybe C is flawed. Maybe D is flawed. But it's not going to be flawed for the same reason that the stimulus is. The structure of the argument is different. Exactly. And what's so powerful about that is that we read and watered down the first two sentences of the original argument, just the first two sentences, and we have knocked out 60% of the answer choices, right? Three of them are gone just from the two sentences alone. And that's going to make it so much quicker for us to get through the rest of this question. And I hear this all the time from my students, like, oh, parallel flaw questions take so long. There's so there's so many words. It just takes forever. It doesn't have to. If you are diligent about watering down the argument, your A's, B's and C's doing what you need to do. And then when you get to the answer choices being very critical, right, as soon as they don't match that form, they're gone, they're out of there. You're going to get through these questions a lot quicker. Yeah. The reason people find these long is because they read the entire answer choice. And it will take a long time if you read the entire answer choice. But the the way you really should be doing this is by taking this one step at a time, predicting what the next thing should say. You predict what it should say. And if it doesn't say that, it can't be right, right? It can't be right. And so you throw it out. So we've thrown out A, C, and D again without actually reading all of it because we know they cannot be right. Exactly. So let's look at the rest of the argument and see if we can decide between answer choice B and answer choice E, the two that we have left. So the rest of the original argument says each of Rose's dogs is a cross between Labrador Retriever and a St. Bernard. So what we're getting is a mix between A and B, right? That's all we're getting, a mix between A and B. All right. So the third premise here is the mix between A and B. We're looking for a mix here. And so the right answer choice is going to mix in A and B. Exactly. So let's look at E. When we're looking at this, we see all of Kanisha's dresses are very well made, right? So being well made, that happens on a spectrum. You can have something really well made. You can have something poorly made. So what I'm predicting the next premise to say is something being not well made, right? Something not being well made. And that's what we get. All of Connie's dresses are very badly made. Okay, so Kanisha's dresses are our A and Connie's dresses are our B. All A has a lot of X, you know, very well made. All Connie or all B has very little X, very badly made. So the next sentence 
or the next premise that I want to see is something about there being a mix of Kanisha's dresses and Connie's dresses, a mix of A and B. What I get, though, is half of the dresses in this closet are very well made. So already we can pause right there. We don't need to read any further because this is saying half of the dresses in the closet have a lot of X, right? So that's already a diversion from the stimulus, right? If this was right, this would say something like half of the dresses in the closet are Kanisha's and half of the dresses in the closet are Connie's. But we don't get that. So we don't even need to read the rest of this. We can X it out based on that. It's gone. And at this point, I have barely even looked at answer choice B, and I know it's the right answer. And it has to be. A, C, and D, and E are all absolutely incorrect. But let's just walk through answer choice B and see how it matches every single part of our original argument. So remember, we started off the argument with all A's have a lot of X and all B's don't have that much X. So looking at B, all type A chemicals are extremely toxic to human beings. Great. They made it easy. They said type A. So all A's are extremely toxic to human beings, have a lot of X, right? Toxicity. It goes on to say all type B chemicals are non-toxic to human beings. Even better, right? All B's have very little of X, right? They're non-toxic. So the next sentence I needed to say, something about mixing A and B, right? Something about mixing type A chemicals and type B chemicals, and that's exactly what it does. This household cleaner is a mixture of type A chemical and a type B chemical. Now, when I go back to my original argument, the conclusion is just, therefore, Rosa's dogs are moderate barkers. Okay, therefore, this mix of A and B is going to be like a moderate X, right? Somewhere in the middle. We're not doing, there's not a lot of X, there's not a little bit moderate X right in the middle. And that's what the conclusion of answer choice B says too. Therefore, this household cleaner is moderately toxic, right? Therefore, we are right in the middle of X. Perfect, right? And answer choice B, we could do all that work, we can do all that, but we already know so definitively A, C, D, and E are absolutely wrong. We were able to eliminate our way to answer choice B so, so quickly. And that's how you approach questions like these, right? That's how you can get through them quicker. You can read fewer words and just be a lot more accurate and a lot more efficient. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. Just to to recap this, when you hit a parallel flaw question, when you hit a parallel reasoning question, you read the stimulus and then you convert the stimulus into a general form. After that, you want to take the answer choices premise at a time, one premise at a time, and and start predicting what should the next premise say? What premises do I need to have? If the argument never uses the word all and you get an answer choice that says all, you know it's got to be out because the the stimulus is not relying on all A's being B you know you can exit out based on that. And that's how you build speed on this test, right? That's how, you, that's how you blitz through these parallel reasoning questions. They are lengthy and intimidating. And so what you need to do is take it one step at a time. You know what they say, Asa? How do you eat a whale? How do you eat a whale? One bite at a time. I have never heard that before in You've my life. You've never heard that before? I, I feel like no. it's, an, it's an offshoot of the journey of a thousand steps. Uh, or a thousand miles but but maybe not though because i feel like it applies more to like a daunt like a like a a task eating a whale is like a task you don't want to do Mm, i see what you're saying a little more analogous i think the message is is heard right you take it one step at a time break down the argument water it down into your a's b's and c's and you'll be set that's all you need so cool that brings us to the end of our parallel flaw episode we'll see you next time with another question type and best of luck with your studying And guys, if you need help following along in the show notes, you can find that general form of the argument. Bye, y'all. All right. Bye. For more LSAT study tips, visit sevensage.com.